0: Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatiana Kasesinov. This week, I am absolutely delighted to have as my guest, Scott Livingston. Scott is a certified athletic therapist and strength and conditioning coach. He is host of the powerful new podcast, Leave Your Mark, so a podcasting colleague, and he has a significant following in the world of human performance. He's a teacher, a lecturer, broadcaster, and mentor. And as a reconditioning specialist and performance coach who has trained and rebuilt some of the best athletes in the world, he has experienced every performance environment from professional sport to the Olympic Games. He's also an entrepreneur, having built several successful businesses, including ReconditioningHQ.com, which empowers practitioners with a common language of practice. He also has a performance training studio in the heart of Montreal, Canada premier performance or p2 first of all scott welcome and thank you for taking the time to speak to me today
1: of course tatiana it's my pleasure and honor to be on your show yeah well,
0: that's very <laughs> kind of it's an absolute honor to have you so let's start at the very beginning performance um athletes and and training how how did that all come about there's always a story there somewhere
1: (laughs) well yeah it was a bit of a circuitous route really I mean I think because of my background as an athlete when I was a kid I was attracted to you know I think every kid dreams of uh that that is an athlete dreams of being a some kind of professional athlete at some point. So mine was in uh, in Canada. We like football and hockey. So I wanted to be either a f- football player, not, not the European football, but the American football style and hockey player. And that didn't pan out. I stopped growing. And so I, I couldn't really reach... High for that. I actually wanted to be um, a broadcaster. I wanted to be a talk show, talk radio host, but my dad convinced me that that wasn't uh, studious enough and that I had to go and get a university degree. So I chose something in the physical education, physical sciences side of things, and really actually didn't know what a therapist or strength coach was when I was a kid. They didn't really. Well, I mean, they existed, I guess, in the United States and NCAA, but it wasn't as big as it is today. So, I kind of just discovered it uh, while I was in school. That both the therapy and the strength conditioning. I used to train a lot, lift lots of weights as part of training to be an athlete, and I figured uh, that that was something I could do well. And uh, I started on my journey working in the in the profession. and the rest is sort of history. I've I've, I've worked at uh, a university in Canada for a number of years. Then I worked uh, in the National Hockey League in Canada, which is kind of like working in the premiership in, uh, in England for soccer or football. And then after that, I started working with a bunch of Olympic athletes in uh, performance training and supporting them. And I, I practice something that I call reconditioning. So it's it's a form of therapeutic practice that brings therapy and performance training together um, in one sort of process. And so my niche has always been to sort of rebuild. Athletes who have been broken and maybe couldn't get back to their sport or were struggling. That's, that's what I've made my career out of.
0: Right. When you say broken, um, you're talking about physical issues mm-hmm. here. Um, mm-hmm. So what does your reconditioning therapy approach? How does that look? And where are the, where do you see the problems? Why, beyond <coughs> a, a classical sports medicine um, intervention, why does an athlete need that little bit extra that you can provide?
1: Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, the the world of sports medicine and therapy and especially therapeutic practice whether you come at it from a physical therapy perspective or as an athletic therapist like i am or all the different dimensions of that chiropractic etc tend to be you tend to be taught in a process that's uh, diagnostic and uh, deductive so you go through this process to come come sort of to a a diagnosis and and a name that tunes sort of spirit. So you have patellar tendonitis, you have some kind of impingement syndrome, you have all these different things. Um, And what I found many years ago was that that didn't tend to take into consideration the broader reality of influence that could be causing either performance issues or injury issues. And so I sort of embarked in this process probably 25 years ago of being more inductive in the way I looked at things. So taking into consideration, everything, um, all the potential influences that were uh, for, for the most part physical at that time. But I, I think now I recognize more and more of the things that are, uh, as we're seeing more stuff on pain science, the psychological sides of things, the nutritional sides. Of, there are so many different aspects so basically, we developed a process where we would become more inductive, we would be more holistic, we would look at the whole body. And so if somebody came in with an injury, the, you know they might have pain in their knee, but we want to see if there's something influencing the way they move and the way they do what they do that could be creating that pain. And I use the analogy when I teach it's It's kind of like in your house, if you have a crack in your wall on the third floor of the house, you know, you might go over and patch it and then paint it and say, oh, you know, we had a crack in the wall. But if the crack keeps coming back, ultimately you have to find out why the crack's there. And usually it's because the foundation shifted and or something else is going on. And so in therapy, we tend to keep treating the, the crack. We treat the pain or the tissue that's irritated or what have you, not necessarily the foundation or why it's there. And so the process of reconditioning is really a, a structured System for looking at the body, and we kind of call it an operating system, um, kind of like a computer, where it helps make all the applications or all the skills that a lot of technical people come in with even more powerful.
0: Wow! Wow! That sounds really impressive. Do you see consistent themes when you when you're dealing with uh, with athletes? Are there, are there sort of recurring patterns that keep keep coming up and keep coming up?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, now, it's interesting now that uh, we've gone through this phase. And I think it's happened in Europe as much as it has in Canada, North America, where people have pushed away from at least the educational level, physical education in schools and and the physicality of being in school, it's become very, you know, uh, reading, writing, arithmetic sort of based. And our kids have become less and less physically skilled in some sense. So, Um, What I've seen over my career is kind of people are not learning to move very well uh, in their youth. Um, They're maybe getting kinds of different kinds of injuries through that, you know, their early when they do play sports. There's a lot of early um, and um, focused commitment to um, particular sports. So in Europe, it might be football. The kids will be playing football since they're four and they won't play something else. Whereas 20, 30 years ago, they'll play a lot of different sports and they'll have more dimensional uh, connection to lots of different stimulus. So you're starting to see this kind of athlete or or client that doesn't move quite as well it doesn't have the whole i call it palliative of movement then you throw in the injuries then you throw in the sitting in class all day or the sitting in life all day and the postures that we have taken all of a sudden you know the typical issues start coming out where we get you know we're seeing and have seen for a long time a lot of back injuries we see lots of knee injuries in sport um and we see you know those kinds of um chronic stress syndromes that are really coming because people are not really prepared to do what it is that they want to do with their body on a regular basis. And so from a thematic standpoint, I think it comes back to this concept of how do we how do we make our kids more physically literate when they're young? And I think 30, 40, 50 years ago, it happened because they were physical every day, either in work or in play. And uh, so now we're having to replace that with uh, with some kind of educational process around that. And for me as a professional, that's where I end up spending most of my time is just making people more physically literate from the get-go. You know, where, where are the holes, where are the missing pieces in their movement palette? Uh, I use that analogy of, you know, you want all the colors of the rainbow so you can paint a picture. Well, it's the same thing for movement. You want all the, the movement qualities and attributes so you can actually you know hit a tennis ball or hit a golf ball or whatever it is you you love to do you know?
0: right is your um reconditioning program only suitable for for athletes or is it something that actually regular person who who is experiencing sports injuries can actually benefit from too
1: yeah it's it's for anybody I mean the process is it doesn't matter i I actually take the viewpoint that every human being is an athlete it's just what athletic endeavor you're asking your body to do do you like to garden do you go for hikes on weekends do you like to go for a walk do you you know have to get up and down your stairs in your home i mean that's that is a physical demand and depend maybe you're maybe you're a nurse uh in a hospital and you're moving you know you're moving patients maybe you're working on a on a um at a corporate or corporation space and you have to uh, stand all day. Um, Maybe you're somebody who works at a dock and you have to load vehicles with boxes. You're still using your body to do stuff. You're so to me, that's a physical athletic demand. Um, So anybody who's physical, I mean, if you're a, a complete couch potato, maybe not. But I think if, you, if you've got some physical interest in your life uh, in some way to express uh, that, you want to make sure that your body has the availability to do it. So, you know, we just spent a couple weekends, my wife and I, teaching uh, this course that we do. And I, I keep coming back when I teach it to what is it that you want your body to do. And I think a lot of times we ask it to do something it's not actually prepared to do. And I used to do this lecture that I would call uh, um, contra- contraindicated people, not contraindicated exercises, because I don't really think that there's exercises that you shouldn't do. It's just, are you prepared to do them? Because you might have an athlete that's a Cirque du Soleil, uh, you know, it, it is a, an artistic athlete that does the, the Cirque du Soleil. They have five hundred and four hundred and sixty five shows a year. They have to do these crazy physical things. They have to be prepared to do that. But if you're if, on the other side of the thing, if you're uh, a 75-year-old um, grandma who likes to garden, you're still asking your body to bend down, stoop over, pick up you know, the, the box of flowers, move some earth, dig, etc. Those are all physical demands. Do you have the mobility to do it? Do you have the strength to do it? And if you don't, then you're going to be damaging something. <laughs> and you're probably going to be in pain at some point. Right. So.
0: Right. Right. Athletes are by definition, very motivated people um, because otherwise they wouldn't be doing that. Um, I do actually personally think that motivation has shifted perhaps a little bit over the years. I think it's gone perhaps less a love of sport and much more a love of all that being a successful athlete has to offer. Mm-hmm. Um where do you, where do you do you see that a lot that that there are motivation issues in in athletes? Is that something that one has to work on just as much or is that kind of a given
1: um, i I see where you 're going with that and is, is definitely i think that there are different motivating factors for people to get into athleticism I think um, just as as I say I would say I was having this conversation about the medical practice uh, you know uh, thirty forty years ago you had physicians who would do house calls and they really loved being a doctor and now because you can make a lot of money being a doctor, there's people who questionably go into medicine do they really like? Patient care and are they empathetic and compassionate, et cetera? Are they just doing it for the money? And I think you see that in athletics as well. That there are people who who've been sort of pushed by the parents to because they're talented or whatever to do it. But I think at the end of the day, I mean, I'm I'm lucky. I work at the highest levels of sport, and I I it is very rare that when somebody. When you go through that sifting process of talent and work ethic and attitude, I mean, you need all those things to, to, to play professional sport and to win Olympic Games or go to the Olympic Games. So I don't run into that many unmotivated individuals. However, uh, there are people who, who I think have gone into it for the wrong reasons, for sure, and you probably see that more now. I think what you see more now is parents who are influencing their children to be in sport or to push through things that they don't want to do because they see the, um, the potential of that success and maybe they see what they didn't achieve themselves and they want to see it in their children, which is unfortunate. Um, but again, going back to my career, I've had the great fortune to work with some extremely motivated people and people who take it really seriously and love what they do, which is the counterpoint to that. So.
0: Right. A kind of a flip side of motivation, I guess, is mindset. Um, not everybody who's motivated has the right mindset. Is is that something that you work with, and and where do you see issues there? I mean, I'm always thinking of of tennis as being the absolute kind of perfect example of that, where mm. so many times you'll you know be watching a Wimbledon final or something, and you you see that one of those competitors loses the game as opposed to one of them winning them um mm-hmm. is that an aspect of the work that you do too
1: it is in a, it is in a, as a side effect of what i do i don't i you know i'm not a professional sports psychologist there's people who prepare themselves to really deal in that fabric uh, in depth but i think when you work in performance sport um you have to identify and understand mindset, and you have to understand motivation, and you have to connect with the, the spirit of what it is that gets the party that you're working with up and ready to do what they do. You have to you have to always be dosing um, different kinds of uh, you know mindset implication into what you do to get to help them overcome some of the things that are natural human barriers to to overreaching you know if you're gonna if you're gonna be the best you can be uh in in any sport or in life you there are things you have to overreach in i mean that's the, the biggest delimiter of success when we talk about success as an accomplishment side of things is um taking risk um the opportunity for failure recognizing and learning from failure and that can come in many different forms it can be the psychology of that failure, the physiology of that failure, how much did it hurt uh, all those things that people have to be able to manage in order to get to the next barrier and and, and potentially win or deal with a loss and recognize what they, what they did wrong. So they can do it right the next time. So as a, in my role um, you're constantly, Working with people who are specialists in that area, understanding what they're trying to support, understanding what the athletes goals and aspirations and purpose are, and you're trying to make sure that what you do supports that, and also works within that, you know, sometimes the psychology, the the mindset is a bigger part of what they have to do than the physical is, maybe they're physically in great in a great place. And it's all about mindset. And then there's sports that really have higher demands and mindset. You mentioned one of them, you know, tennis is a very lonely sport. You read uh, Andre Agassi's book, Open. It's quite a quite interesting book to understand that. I don't know if you've ever read Andre's book, but um, you, you would find it fascinating because Andre hated tennis his father forced him to play and, uh, he basically had, obviously was a talented kid and a good athlete. So he figured out how to play it to the highest level, but for most of his career, about 80% of his career, he, he did not like playing it and he just did it because he had to do it. And it was a means to an end. Um, and it's fascinating listening to that and recognizing that somebody could hate what they do, but they that they're so good at it, you know? Um, but then you have, so so a guy like that and he talks a lot about how lonely it is in the court and the you know how moments in that that game can be so positive and then all of a sudden you have this negative moment and things start to just spiral on you and how you come back and you see that in golf golf is a very high mindset sport probably higher mindset i mean that's the other thing too when you get to the highest levels of sport the thing that differentiates the top 15 20 30 athletes Uh, is really their their brain their mindset their their you know intellectual capacity to manage stress and manage the moment and you see a guy like Tiger Woods last weekend at the Masters Yeah, that
0: That was amazing
1: amazing and and you know all these guys we're were gonna go after but you know that on that day this guy's done it four other times he knows what it feels like he knows what he's you know, what to expect. Whereas you've got, you know, guys who have never won it before and their head, but they're, they're thinking the whole time. They're there, they're that, that little edge of thinking is what changes just the grip on the, on the club and the, the feeling. And, and at that level, that changes the ball strike by, increments tiny increments but enough that it changes the game you know so guy hits the ball and puts it in the water and loses two points and you know it's 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 fascinating to watch but it's like that in in every level of sport but it's like that you know in in every level of performance whether it's uh, athletic performance or business performance or life performance you know mindset is a huge piece and it's something I've done a lot of work on from for myself in the last number of years as well
0: Right, right. We were talking about the fact that reconditioning is is something that is also um, valid and valuable for for the man on the street or the woman in the street. Um, What would be um, a couple of tips from your perspective um, for somebody who perhaps is finding limitations in what they want to achieve with their bodies even if it's not actually directly a sporting activity mm. you're based in Canada um, I, you know reconditioning isn't available in the UK unfortunately hopefully it will be <laughs> hopefully
1: it will be one day
0: <laughs> um, so, uh, so what what tips could you give them
1: well I think there's a few different things one is recognize that to the point we were we were talking about before that no matter what you do, you are an athlete of some sort. And that I, love you that. Are, I love that. Well, it's true. I mean, you're asking yourself and I think that the problem is when you don't think that way, then you don't think you need to prepare yourself to do the stuff you want to do. And so people get in the habit of saying, well, you know what, I'm um, I'm going to go hiking this weekend or I am going to it's the spring. And so I'm going to garden. But I've been holed up in my house all winter doing nothing. And now I'm going to go garden. And they don't recognize the physical demand. And, you know, when you're 18, 19, 20, 25, 27, 28, 30, not too bad. You have this kind of natural buffer unless you've had a lot of injuries and things. And so your body, you decide to go gardening in the spring and you might have a little bit of ache or something, but you, you pop an aspirin or something and you, file, you find, feel great and the rest of the day goes on. But as you start to age, you know, you get into your late 30s, your 40s, your 50s, all of a sudden doing that has a cost. And you have this moment of pain that you're now in for a week or two weeks or you're really debilitated or what have you. So my my point of going into that process is that people need to recognize that they need to prepare their body to do what it is that they want it to do. And I think the mistake that everybody makes is that they think that means I have to go to the gym and I have to work out with some personal trainer and I don't like gyms and I don't want to do that. It doesn't. It means, you know, there's so much resource on the Internet today. You could go on YouTube yoga and do a yoga class. You could go YouTube fitness and do a fitness class. You could go, you know, so what you want to start doing is one walking is the most important thing that anybody, any human can do for for three different reasons. One is you get fresh air. Two which is we we already we already know from some of the literature out there that just getting out into the fresh air is massive for people's mindset number two you get time to sort of manifest, manifest thought and relax and maybe just think about all the things that you that are you know spinning through your head and solve the world's problems and number three you get a physiological change and what people don't recognize is physical demand, as far as reducing stress on your heart and, and health benefits, you don't have to run. Walking is just as good as running. Um, it's really about distance. So if you you know walk three kilometers at night with your dog and come back, it's it's just the same as running three kilometers and back. There's no difference between the two really from a, from a health demand benefit. Now, if you want to be fitter, so you can do something, well, that's a different thing, but if you just want the health improvements, go for a good walk. Then if you add to that, a nice fundamental stretching program, whether that's using some basic yoga or, you know, choosing to get somebody going to a gym for one session or hiring a personal trainer to give you just a stretching program. Now you've mobilized yourself. So you actually have the movement, quality to be able to stoop down maybe and garden or whatever it is you want to do and then lastly I mean you can there's so many different things you can buy on the internet or whatever for basic strength training you could build yourself like I have a little gym in the background here that I've built for my daughter and for myself or for my wife that you could put in your room You can hang something from the ceiling there's so many different things these days you could be doing to just physically improve yourself um, so all that stuff to say that I think We've, we've gotten too concerned in society about, I have to go to the gym and I have to spend all this time going there. and I have to have this personal trainer and I have to have all this work. It's really just about doing something incremental on a consistent basis. It gives you that buffer to play with when you want to go and aspire to do a hike or you want to aspire to do something else. Um, So that would be my biggest recommendation to people. And lastly, is just recognize that if you do want to do higher demand things with your body, um, if you aspire to, to, to go on a longer hike or you want a, a goal of, you know, um, I don't know, r- running a race or something, then you do have to prepare for it. And so, you know, take, take the time to go through a process of, of setting the goal and incrementally working through it. We want things to happen in five seconds these days and, and getting ready to do things physically doesn't take five seconds. Nothing really does at the end of the day. So,
0: right. Getting back a little bit to that motivation issue, I mean, I I I really don't like sport. <laughs> I um, keep trying, you know. I I have my things that I do because I know and value the importance of physical exercise. I I mean, I love going for a walk. So that that according to your um, evaluation is is a good thing anyway. But. I was wondering if you if you've ever thought why that is. I, I have my own theories, but why is it that there are some people who absolutely love and relish physical exercise, and then there's the couch potatoes where wild horses wouldn't draw them off the couch. You know, <laughs> have you ever wondered why why that is?
1: <clears throat> have I ever wondered? I don't. It's not a question I've contemplated much, but at the same time, you asking the question. Um... I, I, you know, I think it's influence. I think at the end of the day, there's part of it. You know, it comes back to that. Uh, you know, is is this something you're born with or are you socialized with? And and that comes, you know, why some people are entrepreneurs and some people are not, and right. why some people like to do X and some people don't. Uh, you know, whatever it is. I I think though that as kids, um, and this is you know for the parents out there, I, I think physicality whether it's sport or the fact that you're using your body from a physical perspective, we need to introduce our children to that and let them find their happy place there. But it's important in some ways to let them permeate on a lot of different things. And there, if there's sort of what I would call gross motor skill stuff that that they need to be introduced to early on in order to sort of know whether they do like it or not. Obviously, hand-eye and foot-eye coordination whether it's ball sports and things like that if you don't introduce them early on early on enough they become very hard to acquire and so people get averse to to playing them Um, two i think learning to run learning to um, use your body to jump skip um, do coordinative movement is really important Um, again so that you have that move that physical literacy capacity to sort of delve into so if your parents tended to be um, leaning towards couch, couch potatoism you're probably not being influenced and so then if you don't get influenced at school by friends then there's not nothing really driving you into that and so as you go further along the landscape then we get into this situation where we feel like we're judged if we if we can't do something or we can do something. and So then we really cab off those opportunities to try. And it's not until maybe we're, at, we're later in adulthood where we say, you know, maybe I'd like to try that. And then we struggle with it and, and, and it's much harder to acquire. But when we're kids, we're like sponges for movement. So I think when you, when you have your children, the best thing you can do is just introduce them to a lot of things and give them that physical literacy availability. And then they may choose not to play tennis or golf or any of these sports but maybe they'll be really avid uh, water skiers or maybe they'll be really avid uh, snow skiers or you know who knows <clears throat> but dances. I think if we,
0: that's we're dancers
1: yeah, yeah exactly Dance is huge, that's
0: fun gymnastics. too because the yeah. fun factor is huge isn't it yeah. especially for kids
1: yeah for yeah. sure
0: yeah I always think too, as well, that especially for children that they they miss out so much not taking part in team sports because mm-hmm. I think that that's a very unique constellation that you 're not only putting physical demands on your body but that that being part of a team is is so essential for for being a, a you know a team player later on, essentially in any walk of life.
1: Mm-hmm. it's very important uh, I think every kid should try to play one team sport and one individual sport if they can uh, I'm going through that with my own daughter she doesn't like team sports uh, so we haven't been able to find, find her something yet that she really gravitated towards but uh, hopefully we can do something before we run out of time but I'm not sure that we'll be able to but I do think that there's high value in that team opportunity just understanding you know, because we all have to work with people in, in life we have to we have to co-mingle and socialize and manage projects and do different things. And the more you have to do that in a team environment because you can't be just self-centered and self self uh, self-actualized all the time. It allows you to understand that somebody else has a goal and you have a goal and maybe there's a whole big goal that you're all you're all living towards,
0: you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Part of your reconditioning is that you're actually also training other um practitioners and therapists to be able to do this with their own clients um, can you talk about that a little bit because i think that's that's a really interesting aspect
1: yeah well i mean we're on a we call it our reconditioning revolution but we're pushing the boundaries of trying to get more practitioners to uh, you know recognize the value <clears throat> proposition of what we do. And so we've embarked in teaching formal classes uh, that are private, private uh, classes that we teach. But at the end of the day, what it is, is um, in, I'm not sure what it's like in, in Europe, but I know I'm pretty sure it's very similar in conversations I've had with colleagues from Europe and, in, in that you, you tend to have the medical construct, the therapeutic construct uh, as a very very fundamental educational model for whether you're physical therapy or you're a doctor or what have you and then you have that that sort of kinesiology slash physiology strength conditioning side of things and for some reason they're kind of taught differently about the human body they have different sort of uh, lenses that they look at things from. And that ends up being almost two different languages. So it's like having a, a Spaniard and a, an a English person in the room and they don't speak each other's language. And, and so then they miscommunicate, misunderstand, and then they're at odds with one another. And either they don't communicate or they really judge one another for the wrong reasons because they don't understand each other. So in the same way, what we've looked at this as is a an operating system for all these people to to work with, but they still are still going to have their balance of, of, of focus based on what they do, but they'll have a new common language of practice so that they can all speak the same language. And so when there's a problem with somebody in the training environment, they can sort of talk to the therapist in a way that's going to, Allow the therapist to empower their work and vice versa. So that's what we're sort of on is bringing these people in the same room and saying, look, you guys can all work together. Here's a way of doing it. Here's a common language of practice, a common operating system, and then you can work off of that. In the therapy world, a lot of people learn a lot of skills. So there's different kinds of skill sets, whether it's soft tissue release or, um, you know, these there's all the different names for them, different kinds of stretches, different kinds of uh, manual therapy techniques, et cetera. These are all what I would call applications on your phone. And what we do with reconditioning is give you the, the software that that operates those applications and makes them more powerful. Um, so that's really what reconditioning is about. And so we're enjoying spreading the, the, the news to people and helping them um, plug into that and, and more and more people that we're teaching are recognized the value proposition of it. And hopefully it allows us to do a better job taking care of people who are injured or not performing to their highest, the highest level that they'd like to. And back to your point, performing at whatever they want to do. You know, like if they're an executive, what are the other things that <clears throat> are challenging them? Like a lot of executives think that, you know, they just got to work, work, work and grind, grind, grind. And they don't recognize that just like an athlete, they need to have recovery periods. They need to have uh, supportive structures to unwind them, to take the stress off. Um, so uh, a true athlete, so to speak, is applying stress that is uh, physical and physiological, but also mental and psychological. A entrepreneur or businessman person might not be putting physical stress on themselves but they're putting a lot of intellectual psychological stress on themselves on a daily basis but they have no outlet or strategy for managing and recovering from that stress so what we advocate for is you know understanding the better nature of how to take care of your body which isn't just about reconditioning it's about you know the whole the holistic approach to to taking care of yourself as a human being
0: Yeah, I think that's a really, really important point, actually. Um, I've recently interviewed um, uh, David Peters here and also uh, Ronald McCready from HeartMath. And, you know, both of those are very, very focused on resilience programs. And um, this this is a big issue. And um, in the corporate world especially, I think that going to the office is like, a day on the track I mean Mm -hmm. in terms of the demands it has on you and so it makes perfect sense to me to actually treat and instruct these people to go through their day with the same kind of protocol as an athlete because Mm -hmm. they are as you said yourself high performers what they actually perform at is almost irrelevant in some Mm -hmm.
1: respects -hmm. Absolutely, and I mean those executives. A lot of times, they're doing things. um, They're using sports sometimes as an opportunity or 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 place of uh, interaction with other colleagues to make deals. So golf is a big sport for that. (laughs) That's right. But but the problem is, if you've been in the office all day, you're in this kind of sympathetic state. You're running hard, and so what actually happens when you're in that sympathetic state is your body becomes almost more restricted. Like it becomes more toned more restricted more you know just it's not forgiving so now you go to the golf course and you start playing you know you you swing your club a couple times and now you crank balls at you know whatever force and you get off the course and you have you know five cocktails with your with the boy, boys in the next door the girls and the next day you wake up and you're in a lot of pain <laughs> and you know you're not necessarily linking everything but you're in a lot of pain because you were not prepared to go onto the golf course. And what ends up happening is we start using things like drugs, liquor, um, you know, other things, uh, food, etc., cetera, to bring those endorphins and all the, the, the natural human pain relievers or the natural human stress relievers into the, the 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 circle of life, so to speak, and it becomes a cycle of well, you know, have more drinks and worse and that's why we've got these opioid crisis that they have in the right. states right now, and whether we have people drinking too much or whatever, it's all a way to relieve ourselves from the stress. But we, if we can get better habits for whether it's using meditation, breathing, walking, etc., to to manage those things. Um, and then better prepare ourselves to go on a golf course and have fun with our our friends. Um, You know, you can still have the drink afterwards for the deal, but at the end of the day, like, take better care of yourself.
0: Wise advice. Wise advice. That's a kind of a very tidy segue into your podcast. So um, you (laughs) interview business people and high performers and uh, what's what was your motivation you you said at the beginning that you actually always wanted to be a talk show host so I guess Mm. you've realized your dream uh, in one way or another tell me a little bit about the podcast because I think it's uh, something my listeners would maybe interested in too
1: Yeah, the podcast is um, Leave Your Mark is what it's called. And uh, I called it that because really it was about um, going through the journey of these high performing people's lives and understanding uh, how they came to be the person they are. I think a lot of times um, when we meet people who've done done something uh, impressive from a success standpoint, as we look at it um we always think oh you know look at them they're you know look what they're doing what they've done but they we don't understand we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg we don't understand all the work that went into all the hardship all the difficulty and everybody has that story and so it's kind of unraveling that story and understanding what people went through to get to where they've gotten to but also investigating I've, i've tried to choose most of the time um the guests that i choose are people that i look at from a success standpoint they may have accomplished things but they also are really connected to the process of accomplishing things and not so much about the that outcomes peace. So they might be going after a gold medal, but they understand how they're growing as human beings and they're connected to being a a better person in spirit. They're usually people who treat other human beings well um, and, and uh, have good empathy and compassion and character and kindness and all those things that I think are really important as, as people. Um, But they, and, and I've also had this sort of, I would call it issue with, our society today being so connected to material materialism and the things that we get and the successes that we have um out of out of an outcomes-based sort of mindset so for me it was trying to explore this process-based mindset this understanding of how you explore yourself and grow through your life and what you've experienced and what you've learned from it uh, about yourself and about other people and so that's what we do in the podcast i take these really cool people and find out you know how they got to where they got to and tell their hopefully unravel and open their story up because a lot of times we don't get to hear it
0: highly recommend that everybody tunes in and listens Um, some of those interviews are, are truly fascinating and very insightful actually and and it's kind of interesting because i mean if you think of athletes that by definition they are born to be competitive and that's very exclusionist and yet the way to actually achieve that success is, is actually really learning to be collaborative, as you said, mm-hmm. isn't it? And I find that really interesting. And I think this kind of doggy dog, me, not you, us against them is, uh, has a lot to answer for in, in the world that we live in today. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Well, a lot of the great athletes, actually, they're very grateful. They're very kind. Um, they're extremely hardworking. Um, they recognize their faults sometimes and, they do their best to overcome them and so you learn from them you learn you know uh and you're humbled by what the the spirit of what they do a lot of times you know uh i don't always profess to understand the motivation or you know i was talking to a fellow named ray zayab the other day who's probably one of canada's uh, greatest uh ultra endurance athletes who's he's run fourteen thousand kilometers over the deserts of the world etc and just to listen to this guy and you know how humbly humbly speaks about things and his connection to other humans and his view on humanity and laughter and you know it's really cool to to meet people like that who are doing some really in my viewpoint crazy things but they're but they're just they're really oppressive spirits and it's fun to to meet these people
0: yeah, there were many tears shed in my household over the last week as Dirk Nowitzki retired. Because my uh, <laughs> my uh, husband is an absolute basketball fan and German, uh, so um, he's always been a, a big a big guy in our household. And I was very impressed um, that so many of the comments were actually not about his achievements in basketball, mm. which stand absolutely alone. But the fact that he's like the only player that stuck with the same club because it meant something to him and the amount that he gives back and being such a nice person. And I think that that's uh, I think that's something that maybe we need to hear a lot more about these high performing people. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the 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 things that's
1: true yeah exactly it's one of the things that strikes me the most at the end of the last question that i always ask people is you know how, how do you want to be remembered uh, after you pass from this earth and nobody says to me uh, well i want to be remembered for all my medals or i want to be remembered for all these things that i did uh they always most of the time it's because uh, i was a good dad i was a good husband i was a good friend um he was a good human being i I cared for other people. I did my best. That kind of stuff is what most people say. So at the end of the day, you know, you've got all these people from diverse backgrounds succeeding in all kinds of different ways, but they all come back to that same sort of center point of being a good human being. And so, you know, I think we need to recognize that more in ourselves on a day-to-day basis that it's, it's great to have goals. You should have them and you should aspire to, to achieve things. Um, and we should all, overreach uh, as much as we can, because I think we're, we only get, as Ray said in his thing, we only get one kick at the can, and you might as well go after it and do everything that you want to try to do, but do it for the right reasons, you know, do, do it because it, 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 it fulfills you, it makes you feel good inside and that you, and, and you're linking to other people and you're growing as a person in spirit and you're contributing to other people's lives, you know? Mm. And that's, that's a cool, cool no, part of it.
0: Totally agree with that. So what's the future hold for Scott? What are your plans? Where are, where are you going?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, you you know, I...
0: Get your program I, I, over to the UK. <laughs> that's
1: right. Well, that is, a, that is a goal. I think my wife and I, we have a daughter who's al- almost 11. And I think our goal is that when my daughter's in high school and u- going into university, when she's going to start to flourish and expand her horizons, we'd like to be sort of in a place where we can spend our... Our formative years, so to speak, uh, teaching across the globe. And so we're trying to connect with more people who are interested in the concept of reconditioning across the globe. And the podcast serves many different purposes for me. It's an outlet for my broadcasting spirit. It's an, an, an opportunity for me to connect with great human beings, but it's also spanning my network of, of connection and, and reaching out to other people. So if your listeners, listeners are out there, if you've got people who are in the therapeutic or performance world and they're interested in uh, getting better at what they do and they want to do it, you can look us up at uh, reconditioninghq.com and invite us to good old England or some other place to, uh, to, uh, to teach. And then we can uh, have some fun going across the globe. And that's, that's one thing. And then the podcast, I, I don't know where it'll all go. I I hope that it continues from a spiritual perspective to to touch people and grow on its uh, organically and and, uh, dimensionally. But I do say this, that, you know, I I often say when I'm talking to younger people that I'm mentoring that, you know, if, if somebody had told me 25, 30 years ago, what my life pathway would have been i wouldn't have believed them, all the things that i've done in the last 30 years so i don't really know what there what the future holds I, I i take it day by day try to be present enjoy the days and some days are harder than others but you know that's that's what it's all about
0: that's right and and every day is a gift yeah even if it brings yeah. tears instead of laughter but uh, you know it's a great thing to just wake up every morning
1: <laughs> it is yeah and I'm, uh, you know, we're, we're at, at that age now where we're starting to have friends who do pass away and things happen. So you don't you start to recognize that, uh, it's not, uh, you know, when you were 21, you're bulletproof, but that's not the case anymore. So it can be all over tomorrow. You never know. So.
0: Well, I think it's uh, marvelous what you're doing, and I really, really um, acknowledge what you're doing. I, I love, you know, I'm London. healers is all about a holistic approach to everything, and so that just mm. fits so beautifully in there. And I think that a holistic approach to to sport and performance in general. Is really interesting, and uh, I really acknowledge you for doing that work, you and your wife together, you. and wish you all the very best with it. And any chances of any online courses, perhaps, for those of us still dry and hungry over here in Europe? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, we have an online product for reconditioning, so you, people can purchase it and watch us uh, drone on, on on the spirit of uh, the internet. But uh, my wife and I are starting to build something we're calling Empower You, which which is kind of a online program that we want to have continuously for people in that world to sort of support them from a mentorship standpoint, from a life standpoint. So to give them more than just the nuts and bolts of, technical stuff but to really help them be better uh people um and have healthier careers and things so that's something we're about to kick off in the next uh, month or so and um i don't know where that'll go i'm I'm hoping it actually expands beyond the the scope of of even the therapeutic and performance community into regular peeps but uh, we'll see we'll see what 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 that brings yeah the
0: message the message is the same really isn't it for Um, as we as we talked about absolutely well I wish you all the very best Scott really I do and uh, I'd just like to finish up with with three little questions that I always ask all of my guests so London Heal is about mind body and spirit medicine I always like to capture that in the words health happiness and serenity so first of all health what does that word actually mean for you how do you define health
1: um i guess quality of life i think um, it's it's taking time for yourself um understanding that your body is an organism and it needs to be treated just like any organism Um, i think sometimes we um treat ourselves far worse than we do our cars or our gardens or our you know our homes or all these different things that we cherish but we don't tend to cherish ourselves so health for me is cherishing yourself and recognizing that you need to take time to um to eat well to you know make good choices about your spirituality and however you express that um you know, taking in the breath and, and, and enjoying the fresh air and, and enjoying the nature that we get to expose ourselves to. So that for me is health, is, is connecting with you and, and doing right by yourself before you start doing right by your car. <laughs>
0: <laughs> very, very sage advice. Absolutely. And what about happiness? What does Scott do to get happy? And do you even think it's something worth pursuing?
1: yeah i don't the word happiness seems to have gotten a bit of a a bum rap these days i think it's i think for for me it's more about fulfillment than happiness i think this idea that we're all going to walk around sort of be happy all the time is not a realistic uh reality there there are hard things in life there are hardships but i think to your point before sometimes you know the painful things um teach you something about yourself and they um they link to fulfillment in who you are. And if, as long as you're overreaching and you're learning, um, and you're, um, failing, but failing in a way that you, you it takes you further towards success because you learn from things. I think that's all, you know, what happiness really is. The, the idea of being fulfilled and being connected to yourself and what, what make what drives you, what energizes you, I think we ignore those things too much. We don't really connect with what what is it that makes me feel good, um, and not in the, and we do it with all the um, the unhealthy things. You know, whether it's the alcohol or the food or the you know the. Uh, you know relationships that are maybe uh, make you laugh for a little bit but then they have all kinds of negativity associated with them in other ways so to me it's connecting with better people uh, people that make you laugh and make you feel good uh, connecting with nature um, you know connecting with spirit connecting with yourself there are are huge pieces of that
0: wonderful and lastly serenity Um, I think that's a word that's very undervalued these days you talked earlier on um, uh, throughout, in fact, about, about spirituality. Uh, do you have a practice which allows you to get inside and, and also turn down the noise?
1: Yeah, I think for me, I, I, don't, I don't practice any religion. I've never been a big believer in organized religion, um, but I do believe in the spirit of who we are and trying to connect with ourselves. I don't believe I'm the best at it yet, um what i try to do is journal every day um i try to take some time for myself to in my activity and physicality to just unwind myself and let let myself you know, just be me but i think the serenity piece for me really is um two things one is connecting with nature um you know in whatever way you do that whether it's going you know or you live in a city walking out in a park um if you live in the country it's you know just walking out the back door so to speak but getting connected to nature the sounds of nature the birds the water the you know the, the stream and the spring and, and sort of recognizing those things i think sometimes we we go from point a to point b and we don't listen to that stuff and i think that brings me to the other point is listening um i think from a serenity standpoint we could all do better to just listen um, listen to our colleagues listen to our friends listen to our spouses versus trying to always come up with the next thing that we're going to say um i think that brings more serenity and more calmness to you instead of always reacting and having to have something to say and, and being in this sort of front of mind condition versus just listening and, and absorbing and understanding what other people are saying and what the what nature is saying to us so to me that's what brings serenity to me and it's part of the reason why i enjoy the podcast uh, and listening to the other person tell me about themselves
0: i hear you <laughs> <laughs> scott thank you so much
1: no you're it's welcome nice thanks for pleasure. having me on yeah it's wonderful to spend time with you tatiana it's we shared the course together and uh, it was a fantastic group of people and to to be able to come on your podcast and see you the success you're having is wonderful so thank you for honoring me on your your show
0: Ditto absolutely it's a it's a pleasure to see how how you're blazing the trail <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'll do my best
0: <laughs> so my dear listeners i hope you enjoyed that episode with scott as much as i did i thought his information was absolutely amazing and not only as you may have heard relevant to athletes but actually to everybody and also A wonderful holistic approach and understanding that deep down inside, even perhaps even me, there's an athlete in all of us and we should get out, move, enjoy our bodies, enjoy nature and realize that it's a part of who we are and it's a part of keeping us healthy, happy and serene. Also, don't forget to listen into his podcast, Leave Your Mark. It's a wonderful podcast and I highly recommend that you listen in. And so, dear listeners, I would ask you, as always, please to rate, review us, and subscribe on iTunes because the more subscriptions and downloads that we get, the more that this information gets to those people who can really use it and value it. And after all, that's what we're here for. The same applies for our Facebook page. And, of course, if you want to become a London Heal Insider, just pop over to londonheal.com. All the episodes are over there and you can also sign up for our mailing list and receive in your inbox with every new episode, not only all the links to the newest episode, but also exclusive access to extended show notes. We'll be taking a break for a couple of weeks. It's coming up to Easter here and a chance to recharge a few batteries and also get a whole load more great interviews on board for you for the coming weeks. And we'll be looking forward to seeing you. So stay tuned and maybe use this as an opportunity to go and catch up on a couple of those episodes you might have missed. We won't be away for long, just a week or two. So see you very, very soon. I hope you'll join us. We always welcome old listeners and new listeners and welcome you to the London Heal family. So that just leaves me, as always, to wish you health, happiness, and serenity.